0: This episode of the Weekly Standard Podcast is sponsored by The Great Courses. The Great Courses brings the world's greatest professors to your fingertips with more than 500 courses on science, history, philosophy, fine arts, better living, and more. The Great Courses are available on digital download and streaming or DVD and CD. Best of all, you can listen to or watch The Great Courses at your own pace without the pressure of homework or exams. And now, for a limited time only, The Great Courses is giving our listeners an offer of up to 80% off the original price of selected courses, including Latin 101, Learning a Classic Language. For this limited time 80% offer, go to thegreatcourses.com WS to find out more. That's thegreatcourses.com WS. I mean, what did you think my email said? Hi, it's Hillary. I really screwed up on Benghazi today. Please. (laughs) I wasn't born yesterday. I was born 67 years ago, and I have been planning on being president ever since. Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us from the Weekly Standard is Bill Crystal. And Bill, that audio we just played is from a Saturday Night Live sketch. And if I were the head of the RNC, I would pay money to run that in prime time regularly between now and 2016.
1: That's why you're not head of the RNC, uh, Michael,
0: it's,
1: too, it's too good an idea. And the Republican Party would never do something so imaginative. I guess NBC would then sue. The Republicans not to let them use the clip. And that itself would be a great news yes. story for about, you know, months as the suit went on.
0: But, you know, one uh, of the things that uh, a lot of uh, people concerned about the Republican Party point out is that politics is downstream of culture. And in all the fighting about the emails and Hillary Clinton's actual positions and the rules of the State Department, which no one cares about, there's a much bigger issue, which is culturally Hillary Clinton is not an attractive figure. She's not the kind of person that a lot of voters want to associate with.
1: Look, I do think it's a big deal, and I think it really puts the lie to was a Paul Begala. I think the uh, Hitler, former Bill Clinton advisor, now Hillary Clinton advisor, or super PAC organizer, or both, um, who put out you know tweeted, I think, and commented on TVO the last couple of days, no one cares about this, no one gives a damn about uh, Hillary Clinton's emails, which I think is not true. I mean, uh, I think that's what the Saturday Night, Live skit, Saturday Night Live skit, and its apparent popularity, it seems to have gone viral all over the place. Um suggest that it hit a chord um people know her character, and this is of a piece with her and her husband's character and you know, this is not something she did on this i I think this is bigger also it is big because she was in government i mean on does she make more money in speeches than is seemly sure does she run a foundation that God does what they do? Sure, all kinds of other things you could say this is that she becomes Secretary of State, and the first thing basically she does is that often an offline Email account on a server in her own house. I mean, it's so jaw dropping about how she thinks about her role in a in a public role, in a public uh, uh, you know
0: job, uh, right?
1: Job, yeah. To say the lead Secretary of State, of the United most people get appointed or something like that. They go right to the council's office. What do I have to do? I want to be very careful. I want to be very scrupulous. She's the opposite, you know. She goes to her own. God knows who, and finds out how can I avoid all the normal requirements of public office.
0: This is what's interesting. I think it's an opportunity for Republicans in general. The premise behind Hillary Clinton having her own personal email server hidden in her house is that her emails as Secretary of State belong to her. Right. That she's not the Secretary of State of America, she's the Secretary of State of Hillary and that this is the you know, kingdom of Hillary operates, and she may let you see what she's up to, and she may not. The fundamental premises, premise of democracy you know, is consent to the governed, that these politicians work for us. She rejects that out of hand, and she's not alone. When President Obama says, I'm doing the will of the people who didn't vote, what he's saying is, yeah, the voting, whatever, yeah, 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 but that, who cares about the voting and the democracy? I know what's supposed to happen here. You little peons, sit down and shut up.
1: Now, this was kind of a Marie answer that moment. I think for Hillary Clinton, and I think one reason she might have gone offline in this way is that she wanted also conceal conceal her emails from prying eyes elsewhere in the Obama administration. She may have thought that, you know, if I'm on the state.gov server, there are many people, Obama loyalists over at the State Department. I, I'd like to keep my uh... Deliberations to a very confined small circle of my own loyalists. I think it may be one reason that President Obama, through his surrogates, I would say, has not been rallying to Hillary's defense, to say the least. In fact, by my count, Valerie Jarrett, David Axelrod, Kathleen Sebelius, all pretty close to the president, have basically made clear they, I think truthfully, they didn't know anything about this. They don't approve of it. They haven't quite used those words, but that's basically what they're saying. Kathleen Sebelius stressed that she followed the rules carefully when she was Secretary of HHS. And I do think, this is again, why it has, oomph. Well, this isn't sort of a, a partisan matter or, I mean, people, Dem- many, many, every other Democrat who served at a high level, almost everyone, a couple did break the rules, and it got called out for Lisa Jackson, the head of the EPA, but most of the people who served at high levels of the Obama administration, not the Bush administration, the Obama administration, it didn't occur to them to do this. And so insofar as there's a potential for a Democratic primary challenge against Hillary Clinton, I think this actually genuinely has increased the odds. And i we've said this before, Michael, but I really think now Elizabeth Warren is crazy not to run against Hillary. She could beat her.
0: Uh, I also think it was a mistake of Hillary to have her anonymous email name be Lady Nixon. I'm not sure <laughs> that was the right way to go. Also,
1: I, I've seen the Nixon comparison, but I want to say I feel this is unfair to Richard Nixon. You know, I know everyone's like... <laughs> Yeah, I, I think Nixon did a lot for the country. He was an impressive guy. He was a little paranoid, had some issues, you know. But I, I, I hate to see, uh, I hate to see Hillary elevated to the status of Richard M. Nixon.
0: Uh, uh and we saw it yet again this weekend, Bill, the president of the United States and leader of the free world, who one would assume would regularly receive emails from his Secretary of State, announcing, "I didn't know there was a problem, so I saw it in the news like everyone else." This is about the seventeenth issue. In which the president claims that he doesn't know what the heck's going on in his own White House until he sees it uh, on cable news. You know what this means, Bill? The most powerful person in Washington, Obama's cable guy. Yeah, right. ever happens to that, I, mean, I don't know. ISIS says, is, "I hope they're not paying." I hope they have a cable, a plate, an armor-plated cable truck for him because he's he's got to be a target of the terrorists.
1: You know, you usually assume that a president knows more than he lets on. I think this is very true of George W. Bush. Knows a lot about what's going on in his own administration, for, and certainly to Reagan but for political reasons, sort of has a certain distance, uh, like with Reagan pretends sometimes not to know about details of something, so we can have a little distance, a little deniability, maybe sometimes throw someone under the bus. you got to do that in politics, right, but in Obama's case, I think it's all true, actually; he does not care what goes on in his administration. He doesn't feel really responsible for these agencies. Look at the way he handles all of what happens, VA scandal, all right. these things. I, I, I it's it's partly a political device. He partly uses it over and over because he gets away with it to some degree. But I really think he does not think of himself as in charge of the executive branch of the United States government. He thinks of himself as floating above all that, giving speeches, doing some occasional executive order. And he's got these people he barely knows working from apparently who run these agencies.
0: And USA Today has a story today that 140 investigations of VA mishandling, mis- misbehavior, investigated since 2006. And the VA refuses to release any information and will not say why. They just simply won't refuse it. you got to wonder how many they'd release if this weren't the most transparent administration in history. But, you know, Bill, you can't beat somebody, no matter how badly tarnished she may be, with nobody... How are the Republicans uh, lining up to run against Hillary looking, in your opinion? You just got a chance to see quite a few of them.
1: I did see a, a fair number of them at the American Enterprise Institute World Forum. It's a, a big uh, annual conference that AEI, the, the Washington think tank, does. It's, it was in Seattle Island, Georgia, a very nice place, the cloister. Um, off, all off the record, so I can't, I suppose, I shouldn't say anything too detailed. I would say that most, almost everyone there I spoke with, though, came away having seen a lot of these presidential candidates um, cheered up. I mean, more impressed uh, by them than they expected. Uh, the contrast of 2012 was just vivid in people's minds. That if you saw the eight or nine that we saw, and we saw them in conversations, they were interviewed. I did, I did a conversation with Rick Perry, Paul go other people did kind of just you know one hour long, uh, something between an interview and a conversation with some questions from the floor with each of these candidates. So they didn't give stump speeches. They were in in a discussion, and almost everyone came away thinking. If these guys were up on a stage for debates, it won't be embarrassing at all. In fact, quite the contrary. You'd sort of like America to see uh, Bobby Jindal and Jeb Bush and Scott Walker and Mike Pence and and, uh, Ted Cruz. I'm trying to think who else was there. There were others. Chris Christie uh, up on Marco Rubio uh, up there because they were impressive. Some had some strengths. You know, some had some weaknesses or let's say growth opportunities as someone put it to me but um it was it was on the whole encouraging actually
0: so you cannot confirm the rumors that rick perry asked jeb bush if he wanted to quote take this outside close quote you can't confirm or deny that
1: i, I, I did the rick perry uh, conversation and uh, he's such a likable guy and um you do wonder whether he could just ever overcome that image he has in 2011-2012 but when he rattled off the statistics about texas it is pretty amazing what's happened down there. Whether he was responsible for it or it just happened while he was governor, of course, people can debate that. But um, the actual numbers on job growth, not just in energy either, but in other uh, sectors, including high tech, uh, education performance, I mean, are pretty astounding down there in Texas. I, you know, we, uh, I'm up in here in Virginia, the Atlantic states. Uh, most people at this conference were from, I don't know, a lot of them from New York, a lot from the Washington area, scattered around the country. Uh, but um, they, uh, I, I, I don't think at most of them will end up being, you know, Rick Perry loyalists. But when he does rattle off those, those, those numbers from his tenure in Texas, it does show that conservative policies work. Incidentally, I mean, you know, this is between you look at California, you look especially at Illinois, these uh, look at New York, these liberal uh, states that have been governed by liberals and, and are dominated by liberal policies for decades. And then you look at a place like Texas, and and um, you really you think more Americans could just look at the comparison and decide that conservative economic policies, conservative uh, uh, domestic policies, work pretty, are pretty obviously successful.
0: Uh, yes, that nirvana where people actually cast ballots based on issues well, and policy positions and outcomes and results. But uh, alas, we're talking about America, Bill, so it'll be all about identity politics and Saturday Night Live. That's how these things that
1: is, you know, That is a good point, though. I mean, actually, Michael Gove, who's a uh, an education secretary in Britain and now is chief whip of the Conservative Party, he was there and spoke a little about the British elections coming up in two months. And he actually made this point, I mean, the degree to which it is difficult in a modern welfare state to overcome identity politics, to overcome, uh, but, uh, you know, people just voting their interests, and a lot of people by now are their interest is unfortunately in the preservation or or uh, increase in various government programs, and trying to make a case based on, hey, look at what in the Britain British case, they seem to have turned the economy around pretty well. They're doing better than everyone else in Europe. Uh, the, the prosperity at first was somewhat confined to, to the London area, but now it's spreading. But it's just hard to. They're having a tough time. I think they might make it, but they're having a tough time making that case uh, in the modern political environment. So it's not just in America. I think it's in modern democracies, modern welfare states, you know, altogether.
0: Well, Bill, Crystal, we appreciate you keeping an eye on these candidates. I have one last question for you, because right now people have their eye on Scott Walker. Obviously, people have their eye on Jeb Bush. If there was one other candidate that you would say this early on, you know, I'm going to be keeping my eye on, how would Bill Crystal finish that sentence?
1: I'd say two. Uh, Marco Rubio and Bobby Jindal.
0: Bobby Jindal surprises me because I've heard so much, uh, you know, damned by faint praise. I think would be. The, I mean, when the, in other words, everyone likes him; they like his policies, but they just wonder if he has a, you know, a good enough fastball to play in the majors.
1: Yeah, uh, uh, I, I. He was impressive at, at the AI World Forum. I've talked to him some. He knows the policy stuff. I think he and Rubio. You look at them both, and you think, maybe vice presidents, not presidents. Mm-hmm. They just don't quite have the. Standing, the gravitas, the stature, but, you know, this is March, and by October, I think they could, each, each of them could look, could look really presidential.
0: Bill Crystal, thanks for your time. We appreciate it.
1: Hey, my pleasure, Michael.
0: You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.